The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, um, chapter 3, verses 1 through, tre- bleh, 1 through 12, found in your Bible at page 808. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment, a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was of locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the regions about Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat in the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. About five years ago, um, there was an Instagram account opened, Preachers and Sneakers. Perhaps you've seen this. It is uh, uh, photographs of um, kind of prosperity gospel, megachurch, celebrity pastors. I haven't made it yet. Um, And it kind of usually gets a picture of their um, shoes and holds it over by the website where they're for sale to let you know how much they are. And, and so it'll be a very popular um, pastor um, and $1,500 Louis Vuitton shoes. And there doesn't have to be any commentary about it to, to make us kind of realize, I'm not sure this is really where things ought to be. You know, this doesn't seem to be a legitimate calling, or at least not in line with Jesus Christ. John the Baptist would never have been on that Instagram account. He is the one who is described wearing um, camel skin or camel hair clothing, which is um, coarse um, um, made by himself of materials found in the wilderness, a leather belt, um, I don't think necessarily a, a nicely tanned and custom-to-made order as much as just something he found and wrapped around his waist. His diet was locust and wild honey. The wild honey sounds pretty good. The idea of accessing it myself and the price that would be paid to get it doesn't sound worthwhile. And no thanks on the locusts. In other words, he's in the wilderness. He's 
has no concern about the things of this world. He's, he's living on what he can scrounge up in the wilderness. He's living off the land. And he is out there saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The description of him makes him sound very much like the Old Testament prophets, the, in line with Elijah, who is the one who is going to um, come before or return before the Messiah. Um, the, the description of the voice in the wilderness from the prophet Isaiah squarely puts him in line as, as that prophecy was originally within the context of the people returning from exile. God's coming in their midst and to prepare the way for them, something that would be done in a day um, before um, modern roads get ready for uh, a royal visitation, and it's in the wilderness. That John was even where he was, was, was not like, you know, recreational camping. The wilderness was a frightening and dangerous place with beasts and um, um, robbers with no access to community and to help. It was the punishment of some people to be sent out into the wilderness. That was exile, to be away from the others. And yet John is there himself. And John, you'll remember Luke tells us that John was... Um, the son of a priest. His father had word of his birth as he was serving in the temple, um, which meant John himself was a priest, at least in the lineage of priesthood, would have had inside with those in power, and yet he is out in the wilderness. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's something about the truth in the austerity. See, John has no aspirations of being in king's courts. He has no desire to be built up. Therefore, he, we can trust he's telling the truth. Well, that's the thing about the Instagram preachers that they make us question, are they really telling the truth or are they telling what's going to buy the next pair of shoes or the nice watch? Are they really following God or are they really serving the market. And that was a problem back in John's time. There were scribes and Pharisees, people in the priesthood who were in the temple with Herod, giving directions of where he could find baby Jesus to kill. There were those who would follow God who would deceive and lead others. And even in the time of uh, the earlier Old Testament prophets, there were false prophets in the courts that would lie and say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It was prophets like Elijah who told the truth and proclaimed God's word who were the ones, as Elijah was, living in a cave, being fed by the ravens, being hunted down in fear of their life, much as John himself would be hunted down, his life taken. He has a voice that is speaking the truth, and he's in the wilderness. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And amazingly, the crowds go out. I don't know if this was people hearing an authentic voice and wanting to hear this word of God as a prophet had not been in Israel for over 400 years. Was this a desire to truly hear God's word, or 
was this kind of like the, the latest fashion trend? I mean, every once in a while, something spiritual kind of catches on among celebrities and makes the news. Were they coming out of the big city to see this wild man in the camel hair? Was the Jerusalem tabloid propounding the locust and wild honey diet of the stars? Were they starting a new trend of, of kind of, or, or were they truly hearing? But we do know the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees go out to see what this is all about. John is baptizing people. In other words, he's saying you have to be cleansed. You have to be almost as a pagan becoming into Israel, and, and your, your heart needs a change. And they come to see what's going on, and, well, as I said, you, you don't have to know first century um, Aramaic idioms to know brood of viper is not flattery. He, he insults them and says, you serpents, who taught you to flee from the wrath to come? Repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance. And then he tells us that one who is coming is stronger than him. Therefore, repent. So let's look at John's message. He's calling people to repent, be changed, be transformed. Part of what that means, well, let me clear off some of the things that we tend to think of. We, we tend to think of uh, feeling bad about our sins. I need to feel guilty, right? So we, we feel bad. And certainly that's part of it. You know, if, I, if I'm going to turn away from a wrong that I'm doing, I certainly have to see its wrongness. I have to have regret for the things I've done and, and see the, the pain it causes, see the, 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 the sin against God. And so there has to be a sense of remorse. And yet that's not sufficient. That's not enough. It's not enough just to feel bad. Um, there's plenty of non-believers who feel guilty. You know, you, you, can, you can find those who feel the need to uh, correct their lifestyle without being regenerate, without being born again, without being in Christ. But that's part of it, so, but we don't limit it that. And another thing that we're, we're tempted to think repent means is a project of moral self-improvement. Right, let, me, let me do a better job. Let me do things right, and let me follow the rules better. Um, but that's not repentance. Now, truly, a changed life is a fruit of repentance, but it's not so much doing the right things. That's why when the Pharisees come, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance which would have sounded weird to anyone in that community, they would be looking at these as the most righteous and the most holy and the most law-abiding people. But Jesus isn't saying, get better at keeping rules. He's telling them, you have to repent. And people would say, what do they have to repent of? They're doing it all right. They're, they're keeping the Sabbath. They're giving their tithes. They're, uh, they're doing all the things that the law says. But Jesus says, that's not repentance. Or John says, that's not repentance. John is saying, bear fruits worthy of repentance. So what he's talking about is a change of allegiance. It's a change of our disposition of our heart. That is, rather than looking at the things around us or to ourselves or anything else that promises to, to satisfy us, we turn away from anything else and we put our hearts in God. We put our allegiance in Him. We put our trust in Him we're looking to him as our fulfillment. 
And that necessarily is going to work out in good works and fruit in our life. But it starts with a changed heart. It's going to be one of the themes all through Matthew is good trees bear good fruit. We have to have a good heart. We have to have a changed heart that only comes by His Spirit. Repent. The reason we're called to turn away from anything else and turn to God is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're preparing for the kingdom. In other words, he's kind of saying there's this kingdom that is encroaching upon the kingdoms of this world. We are about to be invaded. We did a really good job of aligning the, the catechism to go with this today, by the way. So the idea is that the kingdom is about to invade the kingdoms of this world. And if you're aligned with the wrong kingdom, you pay the consequences. Therefore, lay down your rebellion, turn to him, repent, because he is coming and he is going to judge. His kingdom is coming in. What we're told is it's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a phrase used throughout Matthew. The other gospels um, use the phrase kingdom of God. Matthew uses the term kingdom of God four times, but the rest of the time he's talking about heaven. And it's Matthew who repeats over and over about heaven and earth and your father in heaven and contrast heaven and earth. He's, he's using this phrase to tell us something about God's kingdom. Now, you might have heard that Matthew uses kingdom of heaven because um, he avoids using the name of God to honor it. And there, there's really good scholarship to say that that's... Probably not so. That what he wants us to see is the tension between God's kingdom and our kingdom. He he wants us to see a critique of any kind of thought that we want to establish God's kingdom through these earthly realms, that we we recognize its heavenly origin. So let's let's see a few of the things that kingdom of heaven is telling us. The first is, is that God is God over all. The kingdoms of the earth are certain areas, certain lands. The kingdom of our God is the kingdom of heaven. That is, the one who reigns over the heavens and the earth and over all of the earth, which is why we will see the message going out to many of the Gentiles, why Gentiles come to worship him, and why we see here the critique against um, the Pharisees who might say, we're children of Abraham, therefore we're in the kingdom. And what he says is, it's not your ethnic status that puts you in the kingdom. God can raise up children from these stones. He, he's, he's saying that it's, it's God's will that brings people into this. It's not about um, taking over and getting power over people here. It's God's kingdom that is going to enter in. It is a heavenly kingdom. And it's reminding us that it is over against the kingdoms of this world, which are too often oppressive and unjust, and against God, that the kingdoms of this world are too often doing the things in worldly ways, building ourselves up, exercising power over others instead of to serve them, using people instead of loving them, the worldly ways of of prizing wealth and, and prestige, rather than service and love. And these are the things the kingdoms of this world are into, 
And it's always saying that the kingdom of heaven is different. The kingdom of heaven is coming. This kingdom of heaven is going to break in, and with it comes the king. John says, the kingdom is coming, therefore repent. It's very easy for us to overlook passages of Jesus about judgment and wrath. It's very easy for us to just have this image of Jesus as only saying, turn the other cheek and and welcoming children, which very much is who he is. But it's very easy for us to forget that he is the one who's going to separate the sheep and goats, that Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone else that he has depicted in Revelation of coming as a conquering king, and the depiction is horrific of those who resist him. And so we we need to remember that image because Jesus is called uh, the one who's going to come and judge. John himself says, um, he is stronger than me. I'm not worthy to be his servant. And he is coming, and his winnowing fork is in his hand. In other words, he's going to separate the, the, the good from the bad, the winnowing fork is when grain was brought in, a fork would be used to lift it, and the wind would blow the chaff, which is worthless, away. The grain would be stored, and whatever was left was burned up. And so that's the depiction of the coming judgment. The John says, I baptize with water, but he's going to come and baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, it's an inward judgment of our hearts. The Holy Spirit is inward And with fire, which is judgment, which is condemnation of anything that is impure that stands against him. So what we're being told is John is saying, repent now because Jesus is coming. And when you encounter him, your encounter will be judgment. The way you respond to Jesus is a response that is judgment. And, and so we kind of depict and think of John the Baptist as strong and severe, but what he's saying is the one coming after me is the one you have to be scared of. We will face him, and we will be judged. Repent. His kingdom is coming. Turn away. Know that if, if we, we, we don't truly turn to him. We don't truly trust in him so that our lives bear fruit worthy of repentance. We're like the chaff that is burned up. We stand under judgment. We're under the threat of the ax that is at the root. But the good news is also in here. For those who do repent, for those who do look at him and say, I trust in you, and I turn away from anything that is against you. I, I turn towards you this image of the axe that is laid at the root, you know, ready to strike, is the image that he took that wrath for us. The one who comes to judge is also the one who took the wrath that consumes the chaff. He is the one who himself is baptized in the fire of the cross. He is the one who undergoes all of this so that we who repent are the stones he raises up as children. We who repent are the grain that's gathered together. We who repent are part of his kingdom, which is a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of perfect justice, a kingdom of perfect righteousness and holiness. 
and we are welcomed into that. And because he goes under the wrath for us, as we turn to him, we know that we can be part of this kingdom. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> 